Well, hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. Special hello to our friends at the Edgewood campus and the Bel Air campus. Uh, it's good to have you with us as well. As you know, our family got to take a little break, went to Iowa and Minnesota. It's kind of cold there. And I'm glad to be back home. I got home about a week ago. Glad to be back where it's just been so uh, warm and dry, finally. And uh, there's the new look. The, the noggin, take my Minnesota hat off. If you don't know why I look like a, a baby porcupine, it's all about child sponsorship, and, and uh, God prompted people at Mountain to sponsor 800 kids this year. Just a great thing, and uh, I tell about it in, a, uh, in my latest uh, video e-note, which you can subscribe to online, so you can go check that out. Um, hey, uh, how many of you... Um, Remember, maybe they still have them. I'm not even sure. I'm kind of embarrassed to say. Remember Tombstone Frozen Pizza? They still have those? Okay, so you've had them. Maybe you remember the ad they used to have for those. You go, uh, there was a, a godfather-like mafia-looking dude at the end of the commercial. And he looks into the camera and he says, What do you want on your tombstone? Remember that? Some of you old-timers, maybe? I don't know if they still have it around. But, but I got to thinking, that's a pretty good question. You know, what do you, what do you want... What do you want to see on your tombstone? Not a bad question. I found some kind of funny tombstones uh, when I was looking around the other day. And uh, take, take a look at this one here. Uh, it says, uh, here lies good old Fred. A great big rock fell on his head. So <laughs> something pretty good to sum up your life right there, isn't it? <clears throat> How about this one? Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. What a way to go, huh? Speaking of what a way to go, how about this one? This one's in Spanish, so I'll translate for you. Here lies Pancrazio Juvenalis. He was a good husband, a wonderful father, but a bad electrician. <laughs> I bet when he died, it was a shock. Um, my favorite one, this guy here. B.P. Roberts, lived to be 50 years old. His tombstone simply says, I told you I was sick. <laughs> well, they believe you now, B.P. So when it's your time to go, someone's going to decide, you know, how to take your whole life, summarize it down to a few chisels, chisel marks on a, on a rock, you know. What's your life going to be? It's a way of asking, what do you want your life to be about? What do you want your legacy to be? I mean, at the end of the day, what, what do you really want it to, to be about? What do you want to be remembered for if it could be summarized in a sentence? And, you know, all of that really goes back to, a seri- to, a, to decisions you make. Our whole life is like a, a string of decisions, aren't they? One decision kind of leads to an next. You take a fork in the road, you, Yogi Berra says, you take it. <laughs> but you go one way and way leads unto way and it makes up a life and a story and a path. You walk this way and not that way. You can't walk both ways. Decisions can be really important. be terrifying to think about to how, how, how much stock there is sometimes in decisions. That's why I think we, we laugh at those commercials for DirecTV. Have you seen those? Here, here's one like this. It shows how important decisions can be. Take a look at the screen here. When you have cable and can't find something good to watch, you get depressed. When you get depressed, you attend seminars. When you attend seminars, you feel like a winner. When you feel like a winner, you go to Vegas. When you go to Vegas, you lose everything. And when you lose everything, you sell your hair to a wig shop. Don't sell your hair to a wig shop. (laughs) So there you go. Life's about decisions, right? Don't sell your hair to a wig shop. Well, that was because of some other decisions you made upstream, right? So, 
you know, here, here we are, uh, 2014, and someone pushed us off the hill, and it's called 2014, and we're rolling forward, and we're already making decisions that will make up our week, our month, our year, our life, our tombstone right now. And we tend to think about, <clears throat> you know, our goals for the year. You know, lose weight, get organized, quit smoking. But sometimes we, we simply fail to take into account some of the most important things about what will really matter on our tombstone. No one really writes on the tombstone. They lost weight in 2014. So what kind of life are you going to have with God? What kind of life ultimately you want it to be? Scripture says, if you draw, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's a promise. So are you going to draw near to God this year? Or stay where you are? Or move away? That will determine what kind of life, what kind of legacy, and what kind of epitaph you really have. So we're working our way through the story, right? And the story is just this book that's essentially the whole Bible and um, <clears throat> it's really helped us see kind of God's story and what He's doing and how He invites us into His story um, <clears throat> to make sense out of our life. The best way, we call that the lower story, the best way is to find its place and its purpose in God's larger story. But all of that comes back to decisions, comes back to choices we make. And so God is always saying through the story from the very beginning, walk this way, not that way. Follow me, trust me, obey me. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And if you do, it will go well for you. If you don't, it won't, your life won't go well. You won't have the epitaph you want. You'll end up selling your hair to a wig shop. So <clears throat> we're in this section of Scripture now where uh, we're calling it a section where, where kings ruled the, the people of God, Israel. Uh, before that, remember, God worked through leaders called judges, but they said, hey, we want a king like everybody else, so that God gave him a king. And the first king comes up. His name is Saul, right? Saul kind of flames out and uh, unravels, and a young stone-slinging, giant-killing shepherd boy named David ascends. He becomes the sort of great epic king uh, of, of Israel, <clears throat> and he made some royal mistakes in his life, but um, he's remembered. His epitaph still is remembered as one who was a man after God's own heart. Pretty good epitaph. Now, last week we saw David's son, Solomon, and we, we'll talk about him for a bit today as well. When, when, um, so Solomon, Solomon is a reminder that the only thing that really matters when you read through the story and these scriptures in the book of First and Second Kings, the only measurement by which these epitaphs, the final, final judgment of a person's life is made is were they faithful to God to the end? Did, did they walk this way? Were they loyal? Were they faithful to God in how they lived and the choices they made? And that determines their epitaph. Guess what? That's what determines your epitaph in the eyes of God. And they're only real words that matter. So we're going to look at some of these guys and, and what, what their life was about. It's going to help us know how to write our epitaph. And I have some questions for you that will maybe help in that regard. Sadly, in Solomon's case, <clears throat> he started strong and he desired to walk with the Lord, but some things got in the way. Life got in the way. His wealth got in the way. His wives and his women got in the way. 
and his heart was led astray. Some of us can relate to that. We started on a sort of good path spiritually, but it, you know, it's been hard. You know, over the years, things get in the way. Things aren't as simple as they used to be. It's exactly where Solomon found himself. He's this great king. He builds a huge palace. He's the son of King David, for crying out loud. He builds a temple for the worship of Almighty God. And yet somehow, 1 Kings 11, verse 4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. He made a decision to marry these other pagan women. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of, his, of, of David his father had been. Verse 5, he goes on to say, He followed <clears throat> Ashtoreth, that's a fertility goddess of the neighbors, and Moloch, uh, a god where they, they had child sacrifice. Uh, and, and they worshipped other gods, and he gets into some all, all kinds of stuff that's far away from God. And then verse 6 says, Solomon did not follow the Lord completely. <clears throat> he had turned his heart away from the Lord. It's kind of a sad... Here's, if we're writing the epitaph for, for Solomon, unfortunately, this is probably what it would say. It would say something like this. In the end, he turned his heart away from the Lord. For all the great things he did. Yeah, well, I did this and that. Yeah, well, yeah. But at the end of the day, he turned his heart away from the Lord. What choices are you going to make in 2014 so that isn't your epitaph? But I've done this and that and the other thing. Yeah, but, but what are you going to do to keep your heart on track? Notice in this, I think it's so important to notice that David is mentioned here as this man who followed the Lord completely, it says. But we all know, I don't have to remind you, that he messed up royally, didn't he? I mean, he had some kind of idolatry stuff in his own life, adultery and murder, Right? But the key is, he turned his heart back toward the Lord. He humbled himself. He sought the Lord. He asked for, for, for forgiveness and a spirit of humility and repentance. And God met him with his mercy. And his epitaph does not say, here lies David, an adulterer, a murderer, a hypocrite, a lazy king in the later years. No, no, no. It doesn't say any of that. Nor does it say he was a warrior, he was a great man. It doesn't say he lost weight or quit smoking. What it says is he was a man after God's own heart. Because that's the only kind of measurement that ultimately matters at the end of your life David messed up but he finished strong Solomon started strong but he finished weak and their epitaphs read very differently so how about you You know, in, in Solomon's case, it's a reminder how there's always consequences. The kingdom, God says, verse 11 there, says that the kingdom is going to be yanked from you, Solomon, and your line will no longer be the king. He strayed from the Lord. He made choices that got him off track. And, and his life just became something that kind of pushed faithfulness to God further and further to the edge of the table. Not the main course, but to the edge of the table. Eventually, it kind of fell off. So what kind of relationship do you want to have with the Lord in 2014? Here's a question for you to get there. How's your heart? Because it's all about the heart. You look at the language here. It's about your heart and whether, where it's directed. In 2014, you, you get to make choices about whether you will turn your, turn your back more toward God or turn your heart more toward God. Turn your face and your heart toward God or turn your back toward God and based on what you do. And Solomon made that choice. How's your heart? One of Solomon's own Proverbs says, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. It's the source of things. So, so guard your heart. Protect your heart, folks, from being distracted, from being polluted, from being led astray. You want something good on your tombstone? Guard your heart. Right? 
Solomon didn't do that. As wise as he was, he didn't do that. His heart was divided. He had duplicity in his life. It's what James would later call double-mindedness. You know, one time when I was a <clears throat> lifeguard in a camp in northern Minnesota, one of my jobs was to kind of teach watercraft safety and so forth at the, at the, do, at the beach. And I was trying to sh make a point to these kids, you know, don't stand up on a canoe. And so I thought, well, I'll demonstrate that. <laughs> you know, so, so I got this canoe, and I put one foot on the dock, and I put one foot in this canoe, and I demonstrated it all right. You know, I was doing the Van Damme splits there. Uh, and the canoe went out that way, and my foot was on the dock, and I went in. And, and, it's a, and I, I think they got the point. <clears throat> That's kind of how Solomon is, uh, is trying to live his life at the end of his years. He didn't guard his heart, so he had a foot with God. I'm the leader of God's people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet he put a foot with these things that took him away from God eventually ripped his life apart eventually ripped the whole kingdom apart and some of us are probably trying to do the same thing to a certain degree get your foot yeah I want my foot on the God dock but but I've got my other foot on this floaty thing that you know has the potential to sort of take you away and you're feeling the tension maybe you feel the, the potential for hypocrisy you feel the awkwardness and, and you know Jesus just makes it clear Matthew 6 he says you got to choose one way or the other you can't serve two masters you can't have two agendas. You can't have two epitaphs. You're going to have one. So let me be your only master, Jesus is going to say. And to do that, guard your heart. Turn your face toward, your heart toward God, not your back toward God. Well, let's get really practical. You say, Ben, so give me something really concrete. Something, you know, that's, I, I want to do this. I want to get both feet on the God dock in 2014. How would I do that? Well, <clears throat> let me just give you a couple quick things. Well, I would say basically you've got to go 4G. You've got to get into the 4G network if you're going to do this. Let me give you what the 4Gs are that will help you turn your heart toward God. Number one, first G, get here. Okay, I'm talking about weekend gatherings. Make it a non-negotiable activity that's a placeholder in your life. So it kind of marks your week and everything else happens around it. I'm not saying that becoming a, you know, being a Christian is all about going to church. It's not. But if you think you're going to walk closely with God without a regular feeding and fellowship, without offering worship to God in these kind of weekend gatherings, I think you're kidding yourself. So we've got Sunday morning, we've got Saturday night, we've got three campuses, we've got Sunday night beginning this weekend in, in three different locations. Man, <clears throat> people who are drawing near to God make getting here a priority. Make it happen. Number two, second G in your 4G network <laughs> would be get grouped. Somehow or other, you've got to connect with others periodically in ways that will help up build your faith. Get together with some others who are also on a journey with God to talk about spiritual things. They don't have to be, uh, it can be all, any number of people, your neighbors, your friends, your family, connection, do it online, read the story together, but somehow or other connect up with some others who are on the journey. Group up. Third, I would say grow daily. Daily. Don't expect to sort of get a, a, a weekly dose of some spiritual stuff and think that's going to have an ongoing difference in your life. You need a daily kind of connection with God. Somehow, keep your heart in tune because we're bombarded with so many messages and so, many, so, so much media and so much stuff that we do that just, if we don't ever on a daily basis get some Christian thought and Christian conversation, Christian teaching, some things that will help train our heart and keep it in tune with God, some, some word from God to the Scriptures, some, some prayer time to talk with Him, don't be surprised if your heart gets cold and strays. You've got to grow daily. Listen for God's voice and talk to Him. And, and then, then four is get involved in God's work. Get involved in God's work. 
get up and get going. Help someone. Do something. Volunteer for one of the hundreds of ministries that are vacant right now at this church. Get over at the epicenter and love on some kids or walk through your neighborhood and pray or sponsor a kid or, or care for the poor. Or listen to an elderly person. Go to dinner with someone who's different than you in the name of Jesus. You know? so, so somehow get involved. Those, those are the, that's 4G. Get here, uh, grow, grow uh, group up, grow daily, and, and get involved with others. That's 4G. If you're only operating on 3G or 2G, maybe that's why your connection with God isn't so good. Okay? So... If you do those things, you're going you're to find yourself being someone whose epitaph is more likely to say you are a person after God's own heart. All right. <clears throat> so, because Solomon does the canoe split thing with God, the whole, his life splits, but you know what? The whole kingdom splits, and there's this tragic division in the people of God now. We come to an, essentially an era of civil war. There's a north and a south, and the people of Israel are now... They, they have two, they're going to have two, two kings. And let's introduce them to you. They've got kind of funny names. Rehoboam. Everybody say Rehoboam. Rehoboam. He was Solomon's son. He's going to be the, eventually the king in the south. And there's this other guy who comes onto the scene. His name is Jeroboam. Everybody say Jeroboam. Okay? They sound like twin brothers. They're not. They, they, they're not related at all. Um, and these two guys, let me tell you, they're a piece of work. Uh, oh, my goodness. Did you enjoy reading the stories about, about these clowns? Um, in fact, I found a never-before-seen ancient picture of these two, which I think we have here today. <clears throat> these, guys, these guys are dumb and dumber, I'm telling you. Things go downhill fast when they, when they start taking over. Uh, so God says to Solomon, Hey, because you've gone astray, I'm going to jerk the kingdom away from you and your line, and I'm going to make this guy Jeroboam the king. And Solomon says, I don't think so. Not ready for that. He tries to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam takes off, runs for his life to Egypt. Well, eventually Solomon dies, but his son is Rehoboam. And, and everyone says, okay, well, we're going to make Rehoboam the king now. So they all go up to this big meeting house, and they're going to make Rehoboam. Let's talk about Rehoboam for a bit. Rehoboam, then, is going to be the new king. And uh, he'd watched his dad. And what we don't often talk about about Solomon is he was a very nasty taskmaster and a huge levier of taxes. His father, David, had to fight, and that's what he occupied himself with to sort of secure the boundaries of the nation. But once it was built up, Solomon came to the throne, and he just built stuff. And that meant he had thousands and thousands of, of, of people conscripted into slave labor and high, high taxes in order to build all this stuff. He built a huge palace. He built a beautiful temple. He, he built these incredible gardens, public houses. He had this big shipping industry and all this stuff. You can read about it. Archaeologists have found a lot of it. It's always... It's... it's, it's it was just this huge tax and build era. And when Solomon dies, the people have had it up to here. They're about ready to break. They, they just can't, they can't stand it. And so when Rehoboam is going to be the new king, they're like, oh, finally. They get their hopes up like, well, maybe we're going to get someone that will give us a little bit of a break. So they send a messenger who, of all people, is Jeroboam. They sent a messenger to, to Rehoboam, the new king, with a message. And Jeroboam comes and he says, Your Highness, we know Solomon was an awesome king. Your father, we loved him a lot. <clears throat> but, you know, he was pretty rough on us. He, he taxed the crud out of us and he built all this stuff. We got enough bathhouses. We got enough stuff. Hey, can we just ask one thing? We're weary. Could you back off a little bit? Would you cut us a little slack? And Rehoboam, the king, says, Let me think about that. Go away and I'll think about it. So Jeroboam goes away. And, and we begin to think, it's Rehoboam, guys. He's smart like his dad. He's going to take some time to think about it. And we, we, it really looks like he's wise when he calls in the older, more experienced leaders, these elders, and he says, gentlemen, what should I do? The people say I should back off a little bit. 
How do, you, how do you think I should respond? And the older wise leaders speak truth into him and they say, this is a moment, Rehoboam, where you should be gentle with your people. If you will show that you're interested and willing to serve them in this, they will serve you forever. Well, Rehoboam, he's dumb. He says, I don't want to do that. And he's, he's even dumber than that. He, he goes, he says, I, don't know, I, I know who I'll get some good advice from. He talks to his high school buddies, a bunch of young punks, kids he used to drag race chariots with, you know, back in the day. Hey, what do you guys think I should do? The old wise guys think I should back off. And they go, no way, dude, you're king now. Show them who's boss. Now's when you really put your pedal to the metal. <clears throat> and they get all Rehoboam, all fired up. You the man, you the man. In fact, there's this one kind of awkward thing. In first, first Kings chapter 12, verse 10, tell those people who, who said to you, my father put a heavy yoke on us, so make our burden lighter. You tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Which is like some of the most awkward Bible smack talk ever. These, these brain surgeon punks advise Rehoboam to flex his muscle, show him who's boss, and he does, and he tells him, he tells him yeah, my father hit you with whips, I'm going to hit you with scorpions. <clears throat> you'll, you'll, you'll long for the days of daddy when, when I'm done with you. And that's the advice he took. And there was a revolt. He sent up a guy to quell the revolt. They killed him, and Rehoboam goes, I got trouble, he runs for his life. And the next thing you know, Jeroboam now is king in the north. Ten of the tribes, ten of the twelve tribes now are, are in the northern kingdom. We call that Israel now. Instead of Israel being the whole, they call the north Israel or Ephraim. And that's Jeroboam. And then in the south, Rehoboam is left with two tribes. And you've got this ugly civil war. And we can learn some things from Rehoboam. We can learn about from his, from his, uh, his epitaph, which was based on some life-altering decisions he made. And, and, and what was going on inside of him that led him to make those decisions. Here's an epitaph, sadly, for, for Rehoboam. It probably goes something like this. Here lies Rehoboam. He tried real hard to impress people. Nice, nice epitaph, right? He tried real hard. He cared an awful lot what other people thought. He listened to these, to these bozos. And he wanted them to so badly think he was the bomb and impressive. He cared so much. He worked so hard to make himself look good. You ever, you ever know of anybody that made some less than wise decisions. Even it didn't do the right thing or the wise thing or the godly thing because they cared more what others might think. It's kind of embarrassing for us to admit, but probably all of us understand that firsthand. Sometimes we're just like, you know, as junior higher, sometimes it feels this huge pressure to whether, you know, whether they're going to be accepted or not. So we make compromises and act in ways we don't really want to or know we shouldn't in hopes of fitting and being accepted. When Carl and I got engaged, <clears throat> we were at a fancy restaurant, and Mater D brought this, this uh, tray with a little silver dome on it, you know, and it took it off, and there was the ring, you know, with a little note. And on the note, I had written, Will you marry me? And then there was, it said, Yes or no, check one. A little pen right there. But it's kind of it's the junior, that's kind of how we all are with all of life, you know, would, do you like me, yes or no, you know, or maybe. And, uh, Gene Apple says, no matter how important a person becomes or how wealthy they become, behind their eyes is that middle school student saying, are you going to like and accept me? And I think that's true for a lot of us. That's why kids join gangs, because they find there a sense of identity, belonging, and acceptance. That's why they make terrible decisions in life in order to stay in that gang. 
because it becomes of such value to them. It's why Rehoboam made such terrible decisions because of his homies. But when we do that, see, what he missed and what we sometimes miss is the one relationship that matters most. And that's the relationship with God. Because if you know God loves you and that's where you find your identity, then no matter whatever else life brings, no matter what temptations we have to make bad decisions, you can be secure in the love that you have and the identity that you have in God. And that's how your story has a happier ending. So here's my question to help you with this. Who, who, who are you trying to impress? I mean, really, be honest. Who, who are you trying to impress? Whose opinion are you courting? That'll determine a lot about your epitaph. What words are you so longing to hear from somebody? Believing that if you heard them, it would just make your life great. It's what accolades, what applause, what achievement, what award, what recognition are you really just believing that if you got that, wow, that'd be, that'd be, I'd be somebody. Listen, the only opinion that matters is the one who already loves you more than any of those people can love you anyway, and that's the Lord God. It's Jesus Christ. If you listen with open ears, you'll hear him saying, I love you. Now follow me. Not, I love you because you followed me. Or if you follow me good enough, then I'll love you. No, no, no. Listen, and you'll hear Jesus say to you today, I love you. You're in the gang. Now you can follow. Don't waste 2014 trying to impress people. Live your life, folks, between an audience of one. Be careful who you listen to. Don't listen to voices that aren't telling you the truth. Sometimes we have voices in our head. doesn't mean we're mentally ill, but we get those voices. Voices from the past. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You can't do that. Your own voice. I can't. I'm afraid. Or even <clears throat> the voice of just evil. God doesn't care about you. You've messed up too bad. Don't listen to those voices. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Rehoboam listened to the wrong counsel. When you're getting advice, young people, get good counsel. Get good godly counsel from friends. Don't be influenced too easily by the opinions of those who are not walking with God. Because you'll begin to value what they value. Care too much for the insignificant things that drive so many people in the world. You need to, we need to all be listening, don't we, for the voice of truth. The voice of truth. Let me throw one other thing in here about Rehoboam. You know, he missed a great opportunity. He missed a great opportunity to, to say to the people he was leading, you know what, I hear you. My father was too rough, and here's, I'm, I'm going to rework things that will be just a little bit lighter for you. But his pride wouldn't allow him to do that. And maybe it's a good reminder for us as we begin a year for us to think about our own relationships. You know, maybe we've been a little rough with someone. Maybe we've been a little harsh. Maybe we've come on a little strong. Maybe we've powered up a little much. And it would be a good opportunity for us to just admit and acknowledge that we've contributed to the hurt or the wound of somebody in life, maybe freshly or maybe a long time ago. Maybe acknowledge it and maybe say, I care about this relationship enough to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry, I need your forgiveness. <clears throat> Husbands and wives, when you act like Rehoboam and say, I'll show, I'll show them. Or at work when we say, I'm, I can't give an inch. 
or, or brothers and sisters or just friends, family. Well, we're writing the wrong epitaph. All of us need to remember that if you want to lead like Jesus, you've got to serve the people. If you want to teach like Jesus, you've got to love the people. If you want to live like Jesus, you've got to love people. And sometimes that means being humble enough to hear them and not be so harsh. The only opinion that really matters in life is God's, and He says He loves you. So listen for His voice. All right, well, let's look at the other king up in the north. His name, not Rehoboam, he was in the south. What's the other guy's name up north? Jeroboam, right. You can call him Jerry for short. Now, unfortunately, this guy makes some bad decisions and ends up with a pretty rotten epitaph as well. Let's look at a map so you can kind of get it figured out in your head for a second. Um, the kingdom's divided now. The, the king in the north is, is Jeroboam, and the ten of the twelve tribes are up there. That's called Israel, or sometimes Ephraim in your Bible. And then in the south is Rehoboam, and that's called Judah. Now look at this map, and you'll notice something. Down below that yellow line, what do they have down in the south? They got Jerusalem. And what's in Jerusalem? The temple. Right, the huge temple. And what do you got to do with the temple? Every good Jew has to go to the temple periodically for these feasts and these festivals. And so Jeroboam up in the north, he begins to worry about this. He begins to think about it. He says, you know what, everyone's going to go down south. And they're going to they're gonna start, they're going to go down to those worship things and they're going to like it down there. They're going to like Rehoboam. And if they do, they might just stay down there. And you know what else? They might get rid of me and my kingdom. So he starts concocting a plan. And, and get this, get this. This is unbelievable. First Kings chapter 12, verse 28. After seeking advice, I don't know from whom, he's... <laughs> The king made two golden calves. Here we go again. You see why these guys are called dumb and dumber? Does anybody remember anything about a golden calf? Hello. Good grief. Remember when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments? Aaron's like, I don't know what to do. Let's build another let's worship another God. And they and they built a golden calf. And so that didn't go over so well, but here's here's Jeroboam, and he's and he's an overachiever. This guy here. He he doesn't he doesn't just make a golden calf, he makes two. Because he's got a plan. He's a man with a plan. And here's what he's going to do. He puts one down kind of in the southern part of the northern kingdom by Bethel, which used to be the house of God. And then one way up north in Dan, it's like the franchise idea. He's got McDonald's franchises for idol worship. You know, the golden calf now serving you at two locations. Two all-beef altars, you know, with the side of idolatry coming right up. So this way, nobody in the north has to really go down there to the south anymore. And he just says, and on top of that, we'll start some new days of worship. We don't need those other things that God, God prescribed, those worship days. And, and we don't need the priests that come out of the Levites. He starts saying anybody can be a priest. He starts making up this whole new priesthood. And he led a lot of people astray. Remember this. When your heart goes astray, it isn't just about you. When your heart goes astray, it influences others around you, doesn't it? Moms, when you go astray, you're setting a trajectory for your kids' lives. Husbands, your wife is counting on you. Whether she ever says it or not, she's counting on you to be a person who's doing all you can to be authentic with the Lord. Grandparents, it matters how you live and whether you finish well. Kids at school, man, I'll tell you what, if you say you're a Christ follower, you come out of the closet like that, I'll tell you what, people are watching and noticing how you act. Jeroboam, he led some people astray, and, and the reason was he was protecting his own hide. It wasn't about God anymore. He wasn't really, he was appointed by God to lead his people to be part of the story of what God was doing, but instead he starts worrying about his own story. 
He starts, he starts creating his own kingdom. Here's his epitaph. Here lies Jeroboam. He cared more about his own kingdom than God's kingdom. Kind of sad, isn't it? His real problem isn't that he introduced rival gods and rival worship. It's not this that he had this other calf that now became an idolatrous confrontation with God. It's that he put himself in front of God. The real kingdom he cared about was his own life. Let me ask you this. Who, whose kingdom do you care about most? Yours or God's? Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek, y'all, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it first. Then all these other things that you care about so much, they'll be added to you. If you go after those things and think, I'm going to add a little God's kingdom in later, it never works. You end up splitting yourself. But seek first the kingdom of God. Let's talk about one last epitaph today. In the reading, you probably remember this guy, and you're thinking, I don't remember hearing a lot about this guy. But his name is King Asa. A-S-A. Everybody say Asa. Asa. King Asa. He's the grandson of King Solomon, third king in Judah in the southern kingdom. And he had a lot to overcome. This guy did not have a good family background. He had what I would call some dysfunction. He had some decks stacked against him. His father wasn't exactly a great man, a good leader, sinful man, dysfunctional family. His mother was an all-out pagan. But here's why, here's why Asa has a good epitaph. Because he didn't, he didn't go the way of his family. He stepped up and he broke the cycle. And I just I know that some of us need to do the same thing. And it's hard. It's difficult. There's a cycle. Maybe it's a cycle of addiction or a cycle of agnosticism about, I don't know about that faith stuff, whatever, but you've got to decide if you're going to be convicted. Or a, or a cycle of violence or abuse or name-calling or nastiness or filth or whatever it is. Sometimes it's hard because it feels like it's bred into you, either by your sin nature or your family heritage. It feels like it's in you, and, it, and, and, it's, and it's hard. But, but if you're not careful, you'll try to put a foot on the God dock, and your other foot will go out on a canoe, and it'll lead you away from the Spirit of Christ and the kind of 2014 you want to have. So you've got to be vigilant. And say, it stops with me. Here's what Asa did. He remembered that life was about some tough decisions. A string of them. And he made them. And so here's, here's what it says today on Asa's tombstone. He did his best to do what God wanted. Say those words with me, will you? He did his best to do what God wanted. I hope you want to see those words on your tombstone. To do your best to do what God wants. Then say Asa was perfect. He wasn't. Some other things he didn't get to in his life. It talks about that as well. But he did his best to do what God wanted. He expelled a bunch of you know, male uh, shrine prostitutes from the land. He got rid of idols that the ancestors, they were firmly entrenched in the family way. But he got rid of it all. He didn't listen to the wrong voices. His grandmother was advising him in the wrong way. She had this Asherah pole in her yard. He went and cut it down. And he kicked his grandmother, deposed her as the queen mother of the land pretty big deal saying that to your grandma some of you need to do the same kinds of things to do your best to break away from family cycles and patterns that you know are going to lead you away from what god wants listen to this first kings 15 asa did what was right in the eyes of the lord 
as his father David had done. Asa's heart was, listen, fully committed to the Lord all his life. He talks about his heart like David's. Turn your heart toward God, not your back on him. And not just partway. It says he was fully committed. Not partway like Rehoboam, Jeroboam, or Solomon. But fully committed. And he did so all his life. Not like Solomon who fizzled out, but all his life. Are you full, here's my question. Are you fully committed? Are you fully committed to the Lord as we head into 2014? You've got to decide. What do you want on your tombstone? What do you want on your tombstone? And that all comes down to choices you make. Choices that begin even in this very moment. Jesus was with his disciples one day and he was in an area called Caesarea Philippi and he says, who do folk think I am? And they said, oh, they think you're great. They think you're like one of the prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They, they, they really like you, Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, those who say I want to follow you, he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? What about you, he says. What about you? Because it's not good enough to know that everyone else thinks this or that. It's not good enough to say, I think he's pretty great. Peter nails it and he says in verse 16, he says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus smiles because Peter just wrote his own epitaph. And that's what he wants to hear from you. Because at the end of the day, that's the only question that matters. And the only decision that matters. And out of that flows a lot of other good decisions. And that's how you write a story that only God could tell. Let's pray. God, we ask your presence to be just super full and near in our lives this year. And we want to turn our hearts to you. We know that if we draw near to you, you promise you'll draw near to us. So will you do that even now in this moment as we declare to you that you are the one true God, our God, above all gods. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.